Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm so super honored to be here tonight and to also be a part of this program. For those who are joining for the first time here, the Michelle Miao Show is your A through Z covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between. <laughs> so uh, we do some programs here. It's kind of like the what I like to call the resident program, although... The Commonwealth Club has been doing LGBTQ inclusive programs forever, uh, but I like to call this program the resident program for the club in LGBTQ inclusion, but most importantly, a conversation around social justice with an intersectional approach. And so that's why tonight's program is incredibly important, and we're super honored to do it. Let's get the program started. I'd like to welcome and introduce to you Chief, who's the executive director and the founder of Colorblock. Thank you, everyone. Uh, thank you to the Commonwealth Club and, uh, and members of the Commonwealth Club. Thank you to Michelle Miao. Thank you to Compton's Transgender Cultural District, uh, to the San Francisco Human Rights Commission, and of course, all of you for spending your Friday night with us. We do appreciate you for being part of this very important conversation. Colorblock.org, in case you don't know, in case you are unfamiliar, is a platform for queer and trans people of color. We started roughly three years ago. We are run by queer and trans people of color. Our advisory board is by queer, is queer and trans people of color. And all we do is feature writers and speakers who are from the queer and trans communities of color. This conversation that you're about to witness tonight started in February. We had part one of this conversation. This conversation on anti-blackness in the LGBT community is important, and it is something that rears its ugly head in the work that Colorblock does. We often hear that we are all LGBTQ, so why bring race into this? We often see people say things like, we're all people of color, we all experience racism. And we see this in places like San Francisco, when people employ pro-black language and politics without black people, without black people in their lives, in their workplaces, and in their activism. So I want you to keep that in mind as this conversation unfolds tonight. Keep that in mind as you hear these speakers, these wonderful, these brilliant, these beautiful people on the stage about to come out here. Keep that in mind as you hear their words. Like me, many of you are witnessing a family conversation. I am here to listen, to learn, and to align with them. I am not here to speak. And so that's why it's about my time. What I'd like to do now is introduce your panel for the evening. First off, your host for the evening, the co-founder and executive director of Compton's Transgender Cultural District, Arya Saeed. Thank you, Next, we have the founder and CEO of Spectrum Queer Media, Kin Folks. Thank you, Leslie. From the San Francisco Human Rights Commission, Taquan Harrison. Co-founder of Brotherhood 510, Socorro Moreland. Activist and empowerment advocate, Corey Baker. (laughs) 
And finally, activist and clinical therapist, Nia Ibu. Give them another round of applause. Hi, everyone. Hey. That was a little weak for a Friday night. <laughs> Hi, everyone. Yes. Welcome to such a necessary conversation. Yes. I'm so excited to be sharing space with all of y'all. And we have a huge panel tonight because we wanted as much of a diverse conversation as we could have with as many diverse Black folks as we knew. Um, So give it up for this amazing panel. (laughs) (laughs) So I do want to open up our conversation with each other. Um, Many of the room are drawn to this conversation and this idea of anti-Blackness. But many people, many of our audience and our listeners and the airwaves are not going to be as familiar with the term anti-Blackness in particular. And so I wanted to open up and see how we might define anti-Blackness. Don't all go at first. (laughs) May I I start? This is beautiful. Thank you for doing this. Um, All of the entities and the spirits that came together, thank you for being in this space. Thank you for the ground that we're on and all of the ancestors and all of the energies that imbued it with with their grace to allow us to, to have this opportunity to have the conversation. So um, just honoring the indigenous spirits that made this, mm-hmm. made this actually a space of healing. Um, so we talked about blackness in a previous conversation and then anti-blackness. And it was so much easier to talk about blackness, <laughs> right? Because blackness is, oh my gosh, it's, um, it's hard, it's spirit, it's soul, it's genius, it's um, revolutionary. It's um, mm. everything that survives and then thrives. Yes. Okay. So yeah. that's what blackness is for me. It's, it's an experience beyond um, explanation. Mm. Thank you. Yeah. Well, I'll go then. Um, I'm going to take my glasses off because in reality, this makes my glasses like fog up and stuff like that. <laughs> um, and so I want to be prepared. Um, if we're talking about what anti-blackness is, anti-blackness is a deep-rooted hate for a people based off of other people's perceptions of who they are, specifically black people. Mm. And we might get farther into this, but the situation at hand is that it's a systematic situation as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what anti-blackness is. It's the love of a culture. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. people taking from a culture, yet it's the hate for the people <laughs> who created and innovated that culture. Yeah. And so that's just something literally when I see anti-blackness, that's what comes to <clears throat> mind. Like the Popeye's chicken sandwich <laughs> or like, you know, certain things like, you know, say, for instance, West Oakland or San Francisco mm-hmm. and how there is a limited amount of black people in it. Yet there's so much black culture ingrained in that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and so that's just something that really comes to mind when I talk about anti-blackness or when I think about anti-blackness. Again, the love of a culture, the love of everything, except the hate for the people who created it and innovated it. So like loving everything about us but us. Yes. Absolutely. But why why do we think that is? Why I mean, why anti blackness in particular? 
like of all the races and hues and pigments and why us? Um, I like to piggyback on that. I think that it's just with the legacy of colonization and oppressed people, anti-blackness is a global oppression system. It affects black people, black folks with African indigenous descent. Um, it's deeply rooted in systems. It's historical. It's a, you know, an investment that's a legacy and it continues on and on. And people want to profit off of that legacy. People want to invest in whiteness and white supremacy and white mobility. And what that means is that folks on the bottom, mm. black folks continue to be marginalized and pushed down. And I think that that's just simply what it is. Agreed. Um, I'll add to that just communities, nations, institutions get formed based on mythology. And a lot of that mythology has to do with combating other and getting a sense for who we are by juxtaposing ourselves against someone else. Mm -hmm. And that has often in the past meant specifically for colonizing mm -hmm. nations meant we're better than we deserve. They are beneath us. They don't deserve. <clears throat> mm -hmm. um, I'll add on to the anti-blackness part. Just practically, it looks like the way I talk to my students, it looks like thought. So the stereotypes and prejudice, and then it looks like action. So the discrimination part too. So I generally say it looks like I think I don't think your hair is professional. <laughs> and then it also mm -hmm. looks like I only hire people who look neat. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, it looks like I think that this kind of music, this kind of programming brings the wrong element. Mm. Um, and it mm. looks like I'm not going to hire people that engage in that kind of programming, mm -hmm. that going to bring that kind mm -hmm. of music mm -hmm. that's going to come from this kind of community. Mm. Mm. And that can happen individually, and that can happen from institutions as well. I would say that the most anti-blackness I experience is pushback to efforts toward equity. Mm. Yes. And so, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, can, you, can you actually define what equity is? Oh, yeah. So yeah. I have this conversation with my students as well, just giving people what they need in order to get what everyone deserves. So we decide what everyone deserves. Everyone does. We could decide that everyone deserved fresh water. And right. we would say right. <laughs> that some people, some people need this to get access to that. And other people need something else to get access. To. Everybody deserves healthcare. Some people need different, you know, we got to provide different things for different people to get access, mm -hmm. the same access to that. Um, and so if we're saying what I, what I talk to in, in educational institutions, when the lament is, you know, there's not enough, Black people who are qualified for this role. I really mm -hmm. wish there were more people. Um, and I say, well, you're not doing any work. Mm -hmm. That part. Um, <clears throat> I got I to think about that a little bit more. Yeah, I'm going to say for me, when I think about anti-blackness, I think of anything that gets in the way of our self-determination, right? Mm -hmm. Like anything that seeks to block, to derail, to become a part of us deciding like what does freedom, what does uh, us creating societal structures, uh, us creating and enjoying our own culture, like what does that look like of what we want? And then thus anything that gets in the way of that, right? So for mm -hmm. me, that could be this irritating dynamic, um, I'll say definitely in California, it's a really big issue. And I know mm -hmm. it's beyond California, but that other cultures can create their, you know, cultural events, create mm -hmm. their cultural spaces, organizations, uh, can have fruit and incense to their ancestors 
at their restaurants, at work, anywhere, and that's respected. But when black people want to have spaces that's black movie night, black organization, black health care system, mm-hmm. black ancestors being honored at a restaurant, at work, right. all of a sudden it's demonized, it's racist, it's exclusive. Mm-hmm. And, and also this way in which because uh, our culture is, is positioned differently than someone that may be able to say, like, I'm from this country and these are some mm-hmm. of the things that I do to make up my cultural reference point um, that people blanket that we don't have a culture mm-hmm. so then they erase our cultural rights to mm-hmm. have organizations you know anything mm-hmm. right um, so like that's for me that's one example of anti-blackness another one is feeling that because you're dating a black person because you have some uh, intimacy with some aspect of blackness that you get to enter our spaces mm-hmm. that we say are just for us or when we open it up that you don't act like a guest, mm. right. Right? right? Right. You know, that right. you don't act like a guest in a way that keeping a real eye, see people who have more respect, if they have capacity, more respect for other cultures in a way that often it's acceptable to not respect us. And then also uh, the last thing that I'll say, and, you know, I'll be saying more right about this later, but um also the dynamic of like not addressing mm-hmm. anti-blackness in two ways in people's own culture, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So not addressing the actual hatred of our people in culture, right? But then the other way the anti-blackness plays out, such as not addressing the colorism within your own community, yeah. right? not that addressing part, the dynamics part. in your own community, which either predated colonization but feeds into anti-blackness now mm-hmm. or was born out of the impact of imperialism and um, and racism from this country or Ashe. Europe and then how it plays out in a particular culture and not challenging that. Ashe. Say that. Um, yes. Piggybacking off of all that and yes to all of that. Like actually, yeah. yes. So much of anti-blackness is our language. Right? It's implicit. When we're born, we're taught this language that tells us that black is demon, black is sinister. We refer to things as dark comedies. I am dark. When I go to a dark comedy, I expect to see someone like me in it. There's, um, there's a okay. way that we've accepted as a norm right. the weaponization of blackness. And so when you start looking at these instances that each of you are bringing up that we've experienced. And I'm sure several people in the room were like, yeah, I remember that. It's because we all are using this language that is teaching us to prejudge, to have this preconception of the other, if it's black, as the end of the spectrum. So if you're brown, you can stick around. But if you're black, you stick back. Mm -hmm. So um, the language needs a shift. This paradigm starts with individuals asking, how do I use blackness as a term on a daily basis? Do I let it just pass me by when someone uses darkness Mm -hmm. in a way that um, maybe perhaps there are other words that they could use. There are lots of synonyms. Use a thesaurus, learn something. Right? You know, um, (laughs) let's let's change the dynamic Um, in terms of policy, but also from a paradigm, from an ideological shift, and stop using darkness and blackness in any sort of negative way whatsoever. Right? Mm. So that's that's a form of anti-blackness and a way that we can combat at the same time. I also want to add in that anti-blackness is also 
if we're talking about geographically or whatever, anti-blackness is also something whereas if you do go to a black agency or you work with a black company or whatsoever, uh, darker skinned people are not even uh, mm. thought of for those jobs or those opportunities as well. Oh. Mm-hmm. Even if we think about like media or American media or things <laughs> such as like, say, for instance, brand ambassadors or whatsoever, I've seen a lot of anti-blackness here in San Francisco and the Thank East you. Bay especially. And it's kind of like an underlining racism type of point of view. But us as people of color or us as black people, we've taken that and we've mm-hmm. kind of adapted it to our own lifestyles. Mm-hmm. What I mean is, say, for instance, growing up in Berkeley, um, I went to Berkeley Public. I went to Berkeley High School. I went to all these things. And in Berkeley, you have to hold hands and sing Hallelujah and Kumbia. That's <laughs> what it is. You got a purple candle right there, and everybody is Jewish, and everybody is everything else, right? However, what I learned is that I was taught to be everything else except for black, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And I think as we get older, that's why the work is being done. That's why when I, as an older person, I'm starting to really call out anti-blackness and decolonize my aspect and, you know, ways of thinking about things because... I had access to privilege. I lived in a privileged household. I lived in a privileged community. I can't speak on, you know, certain things that other people went through. Mm -hmm. But I can speak on the fact that I know that somebody's saying something wrong, right? Or I know Mm -hmm. if my people are saying something wrong, right? Mm -hmm. And I can also speak out against me being, um, what's the word? Me being put in a predicament where I'm taking up space when other people deserve that space, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's also a conversation we have to have, right? There's this, there's definitely Jim Crow is still there where it's like light skin versus dark skin, right? Mm -hmm. And those in between, you have to pick a side. And what's even worse about it is that here in California, you have to pick a culture instead of a race. So instead of me being hired to be someone black, they're like, oh, you're Puerto Rican. Mm -hmm. So come on, come and get the job, right? And to bring people like you. So that means that other people aren't able to actually access any resources, any services, any type of job or anything like that based on plain colorism and white supremacy and and racism, right? And so that's just something specifically in California that we go through, especially here in the Bay Area, where it's like, you know, you're black, but you're, you're too black, whereas you're not black enough. And so that's fine. And that's also where it bleeds into the people of color spectrum. Mm. So I think we'll mm, get into mm, that. Mm-hmm. But that's something definitely that we have to talk about if we're talking about underlining racism and we're Thank talking you. about anti-blackness as a whole. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Um, even just being a panelist and for those listening in, this conversation will be uncomfortable. Um, and uncomfortable conversations have to be had. So I just wanted to explain that to the room in particular, um, that we may not always find closure and it may not always be a happy ending, but that we're planting the seeds so that we can till the soil to regrow new ideas and new ways um, of approaching this particular experience. Thank you. Um, So, you know, Corey, what you were just, so Corey, excuse me, uh, the title of our conversation is When POC Is Not Enough. (laughs) Um, and you were just touching on, mm-hmm. on that complexity. And so when we say when POC is not enough, why is POC not enough? Ooh. May I? <laughs> <laughs> so, may I? Yeah. From a distance, you don't know what my gender is. And even when you're up close, you have to ask me. <laughs> Um, you, you really, there's very little from a distance 
that is tangible that, that you can really grasp other than this major organ that covers and, mm. and clothes and swaddles my body, this deep blackness. And so from a distance, if you're trying to define me, black will probably come to mind after human, hopefully, after spirit, hopefully. Mm-hmm. And so this notion of people of color feels so much like um, a move away from blackness that we're going to look at the spectrum that exists, which is a wonderful opportunity for collaboration and solidarity. And yet at the same time, my body and people who have deeper pigmentation than I do, we understand are targeted, that we, we truly are given um, at birth this delineation of weapon. And until we're clearer about that, when we say POC, sometimes for people who are black identified because of our experience, in particular our experience of oppression, that might be an unsafe environment for us to be in. Mm. And that's a difficult admission, mm-hmm. but it's the truth. Mm-hmm. So um, all black spaces and defining what blackness is, is um, part of the journey. That's where we're at right now. Like who, who gets to decide who's black? Mm-hmm. And then on the other hand, some of us are just visibly black. Yeah. And that's another experience altogether. I was going to say, um, for me, um, why PLC oh. isn't enough is because, just to be honest, it's an erasure. Mm-hmm. It's, and I want everybody in the room to hold that it's an erasure because we are all impacted by oppression, but we are impacted differently. And I think that we all have our own lived histories and stories and ancestries that we all need to celebrate and we all need to hold true to ourselves and hold dear to ourselves. So as a visibly black person, it's important to me to come as a black person and be respected and my struggle, my culture, my people be uplifted and uprooted Mm -hmm. and that we all stand in solidarity together. Mm -hmm. And I feel like a lot of the times when I come into the space, particularly in the Bay Area, I'm from Los Angeles. PLC was like, okay, this is a great thing. Everybody's celebrating. Everybody's having fun. We have to party. We have to function. You know what I mean? Having an amazing and great time. But, you know, when we're talking about things like Black Lives Matter, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. Black feminist theory, mm-hmm. Black mm-hmm. thought, you know, does that really sit with you? You know, are you really grappling with the realities? Are you really standing with me? And that's a key thing for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'll just add to that in the same way that the LGBT movement has been written about for a long time, there was a wonderful opportunity for people who are are not heterosexual, um, are not cisgender, to collaborate on a movement, to create solidarity and to work toward collective rights. And we know that people got left behind and continue to be left behind. Mm -hmm. And the same is true in the people of color conversation. It is a wonderful opportunity, like you were saying, Kim, folks, about Mm -hmm. solidarity. Mm -hmm. Talk about what is our collective experience and how can we uplift each other together in this world that is attacking us on many fronts. Mm -hmm. And we also know that people are getting left behind, have been, and continue to be. Mm -hmm. Well, what about Oppression Olympics? 
Sorry, so, so, you know, a part of that question too that I definitely want us to think on is um, well, even when promoting this conversation, um, my inbox got messages like, um, well, I'm Latinx or I'm Asian mm. and you don't hear me saying X, Y, Z. Um, or, oh, this is really just a game of oppression Olympics. Mm. The first time I was introduced mm. to the term actually is when I worked in city government. Hmm. Um, I don't work in city, city government anymore, so I can say it a little more freely. But, but when I when I wanted to do efforts specifically for Black trans women, um, I was always met with, "Oh, but Aria, this is just you know oppression Olympics. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. all people of color need to be." And in X, Y, Z. And at first I would sort of be like, oh, okay, maybe, maybe I'm biased. Mm-hmm. And then I would go home and I'd be like, okay, but I'm not crazy. Right. I mean, a little. <laughs> you're not sister, you're not that's crazy. Right. I'm not that's crazy. Right. Clear. She could be a little crazy, but I'm not <laughs> that crazy. Um, so I definitely want to hear from y'all in particular on this this term that we have now that we have access to called oppression Olympics. Mm. Um, and why? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Can I, great can question. I, I want to say question. that like, I had an older black person tell me that back in the forties and the thirties, for instance, when LGBT, you know, white feminism and everything came out and there was a lot of labeling, uh, they were telling me about how, you know, back in the day to be black and to be a queer person of color, it wasn't a big deal. It was like your name is Marsha and you live on the side, but you don't have no husband and that's it. Right. Mm-hmm. It was it was unsaid. Right. It was it was just like we knew this is what this was what this was. And it was respected and you lived your 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 life because in reality, the situation at hand is that we were still segregated. Right. So as a whole, black community had to stick together. Right. No person left behind, because if you leave someone behind, that means that white supremacy will overcome or something will happen to that community. Right. Mm -hmm. And so when we're looking at white feminism and when we're looking at terms that that equal a coin, right, or a coin or as in like that equal money, Mm -hmm. people of color to me is that right. It's something I would write in an abstract or grant. Right. Where I would say this is for people of color and this is what it is. And we're going to make sure Mm -hmm. they have housing and yada, 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 yada. Mm -hmm. But we also know. And what I was speaking about early was the fact that anti-blackness is real because when I bring people of color to any type of function, I get majority Latin folks or Asian folks. And it's just really <laughs> uncomfortable because, you know, me, I'll be like, where the black folks at? But it's because black people don't identify with people of color. Why? Because it's kind of like an exoticism type of thing. Like, let me Mm -hmm. let you're exotic as a Latin person. And so you're welcome in these events. And you also have access to a little bit of culture, a little bit more than black people. Right. So as a person that has that's equal to culture or that has a little bit of culture that you can take you know, with you, the situation ahead is that I feel more comfortable in spaces, right? Just like white people feel comfortable in spaces, right? Mm-hmm. Because you, you know, you, you've done whatever you're going to do. You, you have access to something that other people don't have. Um, also, when we talk about the people of color spectrum, the thing about it is that it's always going to be something to erase blackness, right? Mm-hmm. Because the situation ahead is that black people aren't even deemed human in my eyes, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's deep, but it's real, right? 
I mean, how on else could we be in a room full of like brown people and black people and brown people don't understand that black lives matter? Because right. I even get met with, oh, well, all lives matter. No, baby, all lives don't matter mm-hmm. because your life is mattering right now. Mm-hmm. Like the mm-hmm. only thing you can talk about is one little thing. I'm not even going to touch on that thing. Right. Right. When we equate Latinidad or anything like that, we're equating immigration. <laughs> but we forget that black people are immigrants. Right. Yeah. Thank you. That's the Thank thing. you. Thank you. And so. That's the anti-blackness that I that I see. I see anti-blackness even in the Latin community and even in Asian community where, you know, it's like we'll get money for these people, but we're not going to we're not going to help these people. Mm. And you you look a little mixed so you can help these people. I've worked mm-hmm. in like public health where like there's a disgruntled black person or they're fighting. And like the quick thing they'll do is be like yellow folder, silver folder. They're fighting. You know, black people are wild or like mm. they'll be like. She seems upset. You should go talk to her. Mm-hmm. You know, that's anti-blackness in a whole. The thing about it is that we can't welcome other people into. We're not even in that space and we're not yet going to be in that space and be comfortable because the situation they hand is that if the world is anti-black and these people in these spaces are anti-black, how are we supposed to suffice? How are we supposed to climb or develop as a people? Right. And so that's just again, that's just a way to exoticize other people. Because we're always going to be left out of people of color spectrum, regardless of the situation. It's just like that. Some folks a little bit more than me, because, again, I'm easily able to go into spaces and they they commodify me and they say, you go in there. You look half Asian. You look half Latin. Go ahead and, you know, work your magic because we want to look better as white people. Mm -hmm. But the situation at hand is that when we're talking about black people in general, black people have never been given space because in my head, I feel that the world still deems black people to be less than people. Mm. Something something you were we're talking about has me thinking about ways in which we are able to engage in community spaces Mm -hmm. in the LGBT context. So you were talking about like public health, nonprofit and (coughs) social interactions. Um, And so when interacting in community spaces that are designed for like QTPOC, (laughs) it's a popular term here in the Bay, um, (laughs) LGBTQI, Um, that are for people of color. (laughs) What are some issues you experience with being black in these spaces? So for me, I can share oftentimes in the Bay, you go to the function. (laughs) So, (laughs) what are we about to hear? You have crammed into a Prius. You get to the function and <laughs> so Weedy is playing. That's my type. We can't say all the lyrics because this is televised, but y'all know the song. Yes. And you don't see any black folks in the space. And I instantly sort of feel isolated. So the only time I see black people in LGBT spaces is as the performers Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. or as Mm -hmm. the the sound and Mm -hmm. the ambiance of the room Mm -hmm. to be modern. Mm -hmm. Um, But I don't actually see black people invited. Mm. (laughs) I'm I'm happy to talk about that. Right. You you go. Well, so Spectrum Queer Media is assumed to be run, operated by kinfolks who is a cis white man. 
in most people's, I know that sounds bizarre, uh, but when we walk into these spaces <laughs> and people are witnessing what is sort of behind the mm. scenes, it just, it doesn't compute. Like I was sharing with someone that I went to an event and they invited Ken folks, not knowing anything about me. Mm. And um, I stood in the middle of this triad trying to get involved in the conversation and one of them handed me a plate, right? And I thought, what's this plate for? <laughs> I put the plate down and I came back. I didn't know what was going on, but I thought that's odd and we'll get back to that real soon because I want to make sure that <laughs> we, we take care of the business at hand. And when I came back, that same person turned around and said, no, thank you. <gasps> oh. And I thought, all right, now we have to handle this. <laughs> right. And the assumption was that Ken folks behind Spectrum Queer Media couldn't possibly look like me. Wow. Mm-hmm. That that could possibly be the case. That the word black needed to be someplace in there or the word POC needed to be in there. That I was somehow deceiving people because mm. I was out here doing this work as someone who was representing a larger community. Mm. And so when I walk into spaces like that, I'm immediately hit with that default, Mm. right? Like I can never be the norm for success. I can never be the norm for genius and excellence, Mm. right? (laughs) So when I walk into a space, I'm looking for other people who have had that experience. Mm. Sometimes it's another person of color. Most often it is. Mm-hmm. When it's a black person, though, it's like a family reunion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? And we shouldn't have to feel that walking into a space as a black person, you have to carry all of these assumptions to create that armor to deal with being in a space that is supposed to be glorious for all people of color mm-hmm. when you know that that actually doesn't mean you. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, I'd love to hear about your experience because we've talked about this too. Oh, which one? <laughs> so, since you um, do clinical work, mm. you've also dealt with mm. clients that are dealing with a lot of stuff. Hmm. Well, let me, uh, let's see. I'm like, there's a, there's a few stories. So one thing I want to say first is that <clears throat> it's like the perpetual mammy situation mm-hmm. where, uh, it's like, <laughs> There's all these things like, I don't know, like civil rights, all these many things, queer rights that like, you know, we pretty much created and don't get credit for and don't benefit from as much as other people, if at all, sometimes. Uh, So even though we've done that and there's that uh, that dynamic, there's also like this weird way in which people like either expect us to perpetually be the person that fights for everyone's rights. So like I've constantly had this issue of Mm. there's something happening in a work environment, something happening in a social dynamic, something happening in the political activist community. Right. So everybody's getting together and saying their complaints. All right. You go do it. They're like, go. And I'm like, okay, I am like literally one of the most extroverted people that most people I know know. But it's like, but that person is as extroverted as me, or that person is even more extroverted than me. And it's like, oh, and then, you know, after decades, it's like, oh, you always expect me to be like your mammy and take care of you, right? Right. Um, <laughs> and it's like, even though like we don't benefit from the rights, it's like you have me in this like, like box mm-hmm. where. I am supposed to always be the mouthpiece and at the front lines, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like that is one of the ways in which I feel like very disappointed and people of color. And I remember being at this one microaggression training 
And I was like, oh, man, like the trainer was like not black, which made me happy because I'm like, oh, good. Somebody else is doing the heavy lifting. But then I feel like they were giving too much of a pass on people dealing with their anti-blackness. And when I like called out the way that like POC community doesn't show up, mm-hmm. then all of a sudden, like, that's a problem. And, you know, you know, when trainers are trying to get you to be like, OK, I'm going to talk around you and try to get you to be quiet. Right. And so I think that that is one thing for me that makes me feel uncomfortable that it's like often we want you to be the one to sacrifice everything why i don't say nothing and let the boss think that you know i'm good right Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um and then also that dynamic of like you don't speak up for me so like when somebody says some xenophobic thing right yes uh and then even though we also deal with xenophobia usually the comments are not geared towards us because nobody thinks about us Mm -hmm. you know around immigration right but it's like i had your back but as a person of color, you don't have my back. Mm. And then, like, an example I gave the last time we were together is, like, well, you know, let's say in certain familial dynamics, well, you know, in my culture, like, I can't really challenge the elders. But you challenge them when they jacked up your partner's pronoun. Absolutely. Right. You know, yeah. you challenge them when they, you know, dot, 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 dot. But mm-hmm. for some reason, you somehow never can challenge grandma when she's saying anti-black things. But you can challenge her mm-hmm. in a million other ways. Mm-hmm. Right. You're not mm-hmm. fitting your cultural mm-hmm. norms and all all these other ways. Right. But all of a sudden, this is a place where you don't have to step up and show up. And that's the place where I feel like so let down mm. by other like queer people of color. Mm-hmm. And then on a clinical level, like one of the things I was thinking about today is that there's this particular, um, you know, organization that was like trying to, well, not trying to, they did, um, collected money to be able to subsidize uh, queer and trans people of color getting therapy. Mm. Right. And by queer and trans therapists of color. And it was interesting to me how many times people would say, well, I will do a free session for this person. Well, this black trans person wants to get therapy by a black therapist. Mm -hmm. So why are you not willing to see whatever client comes to you? That's a great fit. And whatever you're charging, 100, 150, whatever. Why not take the money from that one client and say, that's the money I'm going to donate to this mental health fund Mm -hmm. so that this black trans client can get therapy from a black trans queer person, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Why do you have to be the center? So it's also this thing of like, I need to have the kudos versus supporting, Mm -hmm. right? And that's that part I was talking about, like, why am I not supporting self, the self-determination mm-hmm. of black people? Mm-hmm. But I want to like have cred in the street as being like this queer uh, POC person that supports black people, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. But I think that's we a have pr- oh, go ahead. reach time. Oh, oh. Um, <laughs> Sean Paul and Chief are currently collecting uh, the questions that you all wrote on the slips and they're going to come to us in just a moment. Um, But I did have a question that I wanted us to cover um, in terms of interaction. Um, And it's a little spicy. So what we think of... (laughs) We love that. (laughs) This is my favorite question to be quite honest. It's Scorpio season, everyone. My birthday is in a week. Oh, happy birthday. Um, and so I'll lead with this. So when we think of sexuality oh, mm. and interpersonal dynamics, black, queer, and trans people are often perceived with a lens of sexual deviance. Mm-hmm. The lascivious black woman, mm-hmm. BBC. Mm-hmm. Y'all know what that mm-hmm. is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and if you don't know what BBC is, 
Google it. Google it. Google it. What ways? I knew folks in the room. Yeah, we're ready for this question. What ways do folks, uh, do black folks experience Mm. this in dating? Um, This sort of, and Taquan, you and I actually had a conversation that I wanted you to expand on in particular. Um, When we're thinking more of the sort of gay men's side Mm -hmm. of Mm. interpersonal dynamics in the Bay Area. Yeah. Ooh, I'm yeah. like, let me sit with that. Yeah, let's try and take a breath. Okay. <laughs> you know the Castro, uh, right? Yeah, you uh, know, grinder. Yeah, I was gonna say it's 2019. <laughs> you know, majority of us are all like, you know, engaging in app culture, going out. You know, I live here in San Francisco, so my particular dating experience has been trying. <laughs> it has been creative. <laughs> it's, I've been resourceful. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Just to be honest. Okay. Yeah. And um, I think for me, um, being a black man in particular, I grew up in Inglewood. I grew up in South Central. So I grew up in a predominantly black and brown community, you know, dating mostly black men. And then coming here to the Bay, like there was this whole open of interracial dating and openness to kind of like, you know, culture and ideas. And what I was hit with was kind of this pathology in a way of like my blackness, my sexuality was, oof, what you got? Mm. You must got a lot. You must got something extra. And mm. I'm like, mm. what do you mean by that? <laughs> I think the audience all knows. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so it was really hard for me to stomach because I'm like, I'm a human being first. Mm-hmm. You know, I have a mind, I have a beautiful spirit, you know what I mean? So I think for me, it was just like, wow, like you're dehumanizing me, mm-hmm. you know? And I would ask the question of one of the guys, or the guys who I'm going to date with, like, you know, so why do you like black men? Mm. You know, oh, and I'm usually hit with, oh, um, you know, I'm just sexually attracted to them. Mm-hmm. It's something about them. It's something about their energy. And particularly, like, in the context of, like, oh, I'm being an African-American man, you know, like, where it's this exotic, mm-hmm. you know, palpable, digestible kind of, like, mm-hmm. thing, you know, and it's just like, okay, date over. This is done. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, but I think that it's important to tease those nuances out when dating, in particular, also men of color replicating those things that they see through you know forms of media you know pornography mm-hmm. tv social media you know and what we participate and engage with with language around black bodies particularly black queer men's bodies black trans women's bodies black women's bodies too um in particular so i think that it's been an interesting experience for me dating here in the uh, the bay area because my sexuality becomes a place and space of intimacy but power and that power is rooted in Mm anti-blackness and it's hard to grapple with in a lot of ways and it's in like aria said like this is a place that i'm still healing and still learning and still developing so yeah it's it's hard to hold honestly in a lot of ways chief you and sean paul y'all coming okay chief is coming back to the stage everyone give it up for chief Thank you all. Thank you all. So this question is actually, it comes from a young person. So I thought that this would be important to share first. Why is it so hard to find a good person for a relationship when being young, black, and 15 years old? Mm. 
Well, first of all, I think that's difficult at a lot of different ages. Right? <laughs> um, fortunately, um, there's, a, there's a way that, thankfully, this, this next generation coming up is creating new language. Yeah. And with that new language comes a more evolved paradigm Absolutely. around honoring youth. There hasn't been a really um, consistent youth-led nationally, internationally recognized movement Mm. in the way that I've seen this recent movement Mm. where young people are saying, we are going to be here long after you are gone, (laughs) you know, and, and at the same time, like this wonderful question about like how, how to fit, how to make this happen. I see in a lot of LGBTQ and I'd like to put the T in the beginning. That's another way that I'm trying to change our language and change our centering. So if we could put the T at the front, um, we don't offer spaces actually enough spaces for youth. Mm -hmm. Um, a lot of the events that I go to, it's either 18 and up and that's very rare. And so I feel, I feel the importance of this question. And I think it behooves a lot of us who are creating events to actually create more youth led events and offer our resource and let youth take the lead Mm -hmm. on what they believe is, is necessary for that interaction. And we, we could just be a resource when they're ready to ask questions and we Mm -hmm. will definitely have very few answers, but, (laughs) (laughs) um, I know that Kuav, for example, is they're coming up on their 30th anniversary Mm -hmm. and they're going to have an amazing party Kuav is one of the spaces that I've sent youth to. There are a lot of different places, um, a lot of different centers. We just have to offer more. Mm. We just have to offer more. And I, I feel for you. I, I do. Oh, did you want to? Mm-hmm. Did you want at a time? Uh, we got to get through all these I'll questions. No. Um, sure. Yeah. So we'll just do one person from our panel is going to answer okay. just to give a snippet. And we'll just... <laughs> Beautiful. Um, This question actually came in four different forms. How can solidarity between other POC and black people be fostered without it becoming a performance to gain social capital? Mm. Mm. Who want to take that? (laughs) (laughs) You want me to give that to you? No, you you can go ahead. Oh, go ahead, baby. This is my favorite. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> first of all, we have to also talk about black people doing too much to get social capital as mm. well, right? Mm. <laughs> mm. <laughs> mm. Um, I'm very connected within the trans community, especially the trans black community. Um, has everybody seen the Equality Summit on TV? Did nobody see the Equality Summit? Come on now. HRC Equality Summit, where people got up there and did whatever, and Mm -hmm. the lack of black or brown trans folks up there, and just how folks had to jump up in order to be seen and heard. Mm -hmm. But when we're looking on the other side, we're looking like, did they really get up there and do that because they care? Or did Mm -hmm. they do that because they need a platform? That sort of thing, right? So it's really important for us black folks to understand that we also kind of hurt our t- our platforms by jumping up at the wrong minute and, and doing too much. But at the same time, if we're talking about people of color jumping up on behalf of black people, 
There needs to be a, a shift where people of color support black people, right? Because that's what allyship is. It's supporting. It's not taking up too much space. It's literally sitting or being with a black person and encouraging them to get up and speak their truth, right? And so when we talk about social capital or we're talking about social media or whatever, you know, people are attention whores. That's just how it is. People are going to use it to do whatever they can so that they can eat because that's survival of the fittest. Mm -hmm. So I would say, first of all, focus on how to be a great ally. I'd have to say that in my in all my years uh, of of being black, because, you know, this year I learned that I had privilege. People put me in check and said, you have privilege. You need to take a step back. And I realized that. Mm. But I also think my biggest supporter is my wife. She is the ultimate ally. I'm talking about she'll sit back. She doesn't care. She'll support me in all this and this and that. If I'm going to go sit on a bridge and chain myself to a bridge, my wife is that ally that's going to get it. You know what I mean? Or she's going to try and understand that. Right. And so when we're talking about people of color and black allyship, we need people of color to be that ally and to be there in black spaces, but not take up too much space, not put your whole story out there. Take the time to to offer um, support and at the same time to uplift that black person, because in reality, black people do that on behalf of people of color all the time. Mm -hmm. So it's time to really return the favor. So that's what it's about. Um, That way, if you do uh, grow in and do whatever you're going to do socially, the situation at hand is that it's authentic and it's not fake because we see fake. Mm -hmm. Mm. Thank you. This next question. In the book, How to Be an Anti-Racist, the author writes that sometimes in order to treat people with equity, in order to promote equity, you have to treat certain groups differently. What are your thoughts? I mean, that's what I was talking about with the pushback Mm -hmm. towards equity. I don't think that equity means treating everyone the same. Mm -hmm. The, the The biggest example I can think about is the brown and black stripes on the rainbow flag Mm -hmm. and the black fist and the rainbow flag and so much pushback to that. If you know that the LGBT community has historically been racist, specifically towards black people Mm -hmm. and black people are saying, here's what we need to feel welcome in this community. Will you do it? And you say, Nah. (laughs) (laughs) What you're saying is we're going to treat everyone the same, which we know makes you feel unwelcome, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but that doesn't matter to us. Mm -hmm. So, yes, Mm -hmm. equity means giving people what they need to feel like they can be a part of the same community. Like reparations. Mm -hmm. Uh, reparations. You said like reparations. Reparations. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) This question is, uh, actually, sorry, that was a different one. Um, How do you cultivate black liberation? Mm. Mm. Can I take that? Come to me. (laughs) So uh, some of the ways that I uh, cultivate black liberation, uh, yeah, it depends on what relationship. So in speaking like from a clinical point of view as a therapist, it's making quitting my government job so I can work with more black people because I don't know why I thought coming to San Francisco would allow me to have more of that. <laughs> I'm like, oh yeah, they made everybody move. <laughs> or keep on tucked away in a corner or 
employ us, but don't give us like the ability to like make any political changes. But yeah, so quitting my job, developing a business where I get to decide who I work with, right? Yeah. Um, and really, as a therapist, supporting people around their mental health, which for me includes, you know, really looking at, first and foremost, how bomb-ass amazing are Black people, African descent people, and using our culture as a way to like reinforce and support and nurture and love who we are, because being black is a culture mm -hmm. that unfortunately the society oppresses versus people reducing us to the oppression, mm -hmm. which is anti-black. But yeah. Um, but yeah, but truly supporting folks and being con like connected and living in our greatness mm -hmm. um, and using culture as a healing tool, right? As well as really looking at what are the consequences, right, of oppression, of the slave trade, Jim Crow, all, everything. Like, what are the consequences of that that we need to, like, squeeze out of our spirits like poison, like squeezing out that poison and really, like, validating and seeing and reflecting and mirroring each other to say, like, you know, like, clients can be like, oh, God, I don't know why I'm so insecure. God, you black! And like, <laughs> like, 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 we are literally at every yeah. corner, right? Yeah. Like, you the kid in school that's like, I know the answer. Like, well, shit, the teacher didn't shoot. The teacher never call on me, right? Right? Right. right? Or like, dang, why everybody following me in the store? Right. Or, well, I mean, I ain't gonna lie. I used to get paid to do other people's homework and take their tests. And literally, <laughs> literally, our grades would be different Mm -hmm. It would be my mm -hmm. white friends, mm -hmm. my Asian friends, mm -hmm. my Latinx friends. And then if the, my South Asian friend was in that class, that person, uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> then me. Like, literally, I'm the one that took everybody's test or did everybody's homework. Mm -hmm. But, right? You know what mm -hmm. I'm talking about? Mm hmm so it's like all these different experiences that we go through and then just really quickly tying around sexuality right mm. it's all of the black folks and especially dark skinned black folks that never get picked Say as that. the love interest mm -hmm. or exoticized right mm -hmm. it's all of those things and helping a person to understand like yes this is part of why this insecurity or self-hatred or anxiety or depression or like being not you know being asexual is a beautiful identity right mm -hmm. but I'm talking about people that are like I don't have a attraction because I have felt so unattracted yep. that mm -hmm, I literally mm -hmm. cannot access sexuality mm -hmm. and being like, okay, well, we're going to work on that and help you to have a great sense of self, self-esteem, mm -hmm. love, you know, squeeze out oppression, learn how to, because it's still here, how you can deal with it in a way that does not uh, destroy your soul and also mm -hmm. set boundaries and create, you know, as uh, much as access you have, determination over like, where are the places that people get to actually access you and your energy so mm -hmm. that you can be reflected and love and dot, 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 Okay. <laughs> So Chief has um, a couple more questions from the audience, but there was a question from social media that I promised I would answer. <laughs> or not answer, but ask. <laughs> <Yeah. Sorry. laughs> Which is, how are LGBT nonprofits anti-black? I would love to start this discussion. Okay. <laughs> Because I've been working in nonprofit Ooh. for about, oof, let's say, seven to eight years now. Oof. They love pillaging. They love taking our young black talent. Mm. Mm. 
and treating them really poorly. Mm. Yeah. And I want to get to a, a, another conversation in particular around equity. Because mm. when we say equity and we look at the nonprofit spectrum or a nonprofit um, just industry, a lot of the times they're hiring black folks. But, like, they're hiring mostly, you know, Latinx folks, Asian folks, white adjacent folks in these executive positions and hiring black folks to the low-level positions Mm -hmm. from my experience of working in nonprofit. And when I would speak up or say something, you're being too, you know, too loud, Mm -hmm. taking Mm -hmm. up too much space. Mm -hmm. You should be grateful. Right. Mm -hmm. You should be grateful. Mm -hmm. And then I also want to spin it to the fact that when we're working at these nonprofits, they're centering the most marginalized, which in a lot of ways, the consumers mm. are black folks. Mm-hmm. Mm. I've been working with a lot of LGBT black youth in particular in San Francisco and hearing them talk about in particular, like trans and GNC black, uh, black youth talking about their experiences going to, you know, major nonprofits to get resources mm-hmm. and how they feel policed and how they feel mm-hmm. mistreated mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. how there's a legacy of, mm-hmm threatening and you know violence towards the youth who don't feel safe and who aren't engaging into services in san francisco in particular so nonprofits have a lot of work to do in the community to build up that front face and build trust mm-hmm. in historically pressed communities because this Especially is like because they monetize yes mm-hmm. they monetize mm-hmm. that's, yeah. right there. that's, that's, right. that's what it is yeah. that's it's what just it a is. number it's nothing mm-hmm. more so again black people are a number in nonprofits you're, you're mm-hmm. nothing more than statistics facts and just a way just to get another like a hundred thousand dollar grant but they're not being exactly. served i mean that's just how it is there's a nonprofit industrial complex absolutely yes. name it and you know that's actually what it is and within our community within the rainbow community there definitely is oh one. they're the most and we're, thank you <laughs> absolutely and and there there's a way that um black folks who are given positions as the ed etc also enact that same sort of anti-blackness. I know some EDs who have done some things. And the misogyny. Some things, the misogyny. Call it out, call it out, call (laughs) it out. Um, We like to talk about intersectionality, right? But when we start talking about anti-blackness, then we just need to focus on blackness. Absolutely. Let's not talk about what it feels like to be a trans woman. Mm. Let's not talk about the conversations that unfold when we start talking about tenderness and adding tenderness to the conversation around toxic masculinity. Not all masculinity is toxic, Mm -hmm. but there is a way that success, even within these these nonprofits, is defined through that same lens that is just killing folks. And yet we, we keep giving them all of our attention, all of our love, especially if it's in a black package. Mm-hmm. And we need to be careful about yeah. um, adoring the package and then forgetting the quality that has to be a part of that package. Mm-hmm. Because that same black ED will aggress against that young gifted genius black trans woman who's coming in to offer a perspective and a genius that is much needed so um there's a way that those other conversations that i love blm for not just providing new strategies but going back and grabbing some old strategies and so we have the resources at our fingertips i do believe that we need some all black spaces where we can start to break down the communication blocks Mm -hmm. so that we can root out some of that. Well, we need to get rid of archaic thinking and archaic Yes. Detail. So yes. if you've been around since 1947, retire. 
No shade, right? It's like it's like well, see, black don't you crack. Have to, you don't really know. I, 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 I don't lie. You know, it's a beautiful I'm just saying. It's also like growing. That was Can I say something that really quick? Wait, I want to say something that really quick. My she she just went on and had her beautiful transition. Rest in peace, Granny. But my 100 year old black Southern Christian heterosexual cisgender grandmother. Awesome. It's someone who was like, I can learn from somebody that's five. I can learn from somebody yes. that's 105. And she has been the best queer, trans, everything uh, activist in the family and in her life. And as someone who, you know, was, like, you know, a much, 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 much older person, uh, what she, like, just so many, and especially because, you know, so many queer trans folks often are kicked out of our families, right? Right. My grandmother adopted everybody, and there are so many parts of our community that was able to have access to love. And also, my granny has an amazing memory. So, like, and she was told uh, mm. firsthand by her great grandmother what it was like to be kidnapped in Africa and everything mm. all the way through to the plantation, wow. right? So, wow. people okay. having access to her was very supportive and loving. And I want to say that, you know, her, what she gave, even as a, like someone that wasn't in the political world, right? Like the activism she did in her everyday life mm-hmm. is so amazing. And it's so in kind with young activists that are coming out doing their thing. And, and, you know, and, and I think because we have been so scarred by a lot of older folks that don't do their work, Absolutely. it's hard. Yeah. But I also want to like, you know, kind of call out ageism that it's, it's not about forcing people to retire. It's like grow yeah. uh, right. or retire. Okay. <laughs> So, no, I mean, dude, I was talking about was you have and, something called consensual mentorship, which uh-huh. is cute because and cons- that oh, is oh. our time. I don't want it to be left in a We wanna thank We wanna give a huge shout out to Color Block. Yes uh, and the Color Block family. Thank you. Thank you all so much to John from the Commonwealth Club and Michelle Meow um, for letting it happen tonight. And thank you to this amazing panel. Yeah. Oh.